Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Storytime with Stephanie. Today I read Chapter 2 of Volume 4, Book 2 of Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. I hope you can grab some tea, cozy up, and enjoy. Chapter 2. Embryonic Formation of Crimes in the Incubation of Prisons Javert's triumph in the Gorbeau hovel seemed complete, but had not been so. In the first place, and this constituted the principal anxiety, Javert had not taken the prisoner prisoner. The assassinated man who flees is more suspicious than the assassin, and it is probable that this personage, who had been so precious a capture for the ruffians, would be no less fine a prize for the authorities. And then Montparnasse had escaped Javert. Another opportunity of laying hands on the devil's dandy must be waited for. Montparnasse had, in fact, encountered Apennine as she stood in the watch under the trees of the boulevard and had led her off, preferring to play Nemorin with the daughter rather than Schinderhans with the father. It was well that he did so. He was free. As for Apennine, Javert had caused her to be seized, a mediocre consolation. Apennine had joined Azelma at Les Madelinettes. And finally, on the way from the Gorbeau house to La Force, one of the principal prisoners, Clacassou, had been lost. It was not known how this had been affected. The police agents and the sergeants could not understand it at all. He had converted himself into vapor. He had slipped through the handcuffs. He had trickled through the crevices of the carriage. The fiacre was cracked, and he had fled. All that they were able to say was that on arriving at the prison, there was no Clacassou. Either the fairies or the police had had a hand in it. Had Clacassou melted into the shadows like a snowflake in water? Had there been unavowed connivance of the police agents? Did this man belong to the double enigma of order and disorder? Was he concentric with infraction and repression? Had this sphinx his forepaws in crime and his hindpaws in authority? Javert did not accept such combinations and would have bristled up against such compromises, but his squad included other inspectors besides himself, who were more initiated than he, perhaps, although they were his subordinates in the secrets of the prefecture, and Clacassou had been such a villain that he might make a very good agent. It is an excellent thing for ruffianism, and an admirable thing for the police to be on such intimate juggling terms with the knight. These double-edged rascals do exist. However that may be, Clacassou had gone astray and was not found again. Javert appeared to be more irritated than amazed at this. As for Marius, that booby of a lawyer who had probably become frightened and whose name Javert had forgotten, Javert attached very little importance to him. Moreover, a lawyer can be hunted up at any time. But was he a lawyer after all? The investigation had begun. The magistrate had thought it advisable not to put one of these men of the band of Patron Minette in close confinement in the hope that he would chatter. This man was Brujon, the long-haired man of the Rue de Petit Binquier. He had been let loose in the Charlemagne courtyard and the eyes of the watchers were fixed on him. This name of Brujon is one of the souvenirs of La Force. In that hideous courtyard, called the Court of the Bétiment Neuf, new building, which the administration called the Court Saint-Bernard, and which the robbers called the Fosse Lyon, the lion's ditch, on that wall covered with scales and leprosy, which rose on the left to a level with the roofs, near an old door of rusty iron which led to the ancient chapel of the Ducal residence of the Force, then turned into a dormitory for ruffians, there could still be seen, twelve years ago, a sort of fortress roughly carved in the stone with a nail, and beneath it, the signature, Brujon, 1811. 
The Brujon of 1811 was the father of the Brujon of 1832. The latter, of whom the reader caught but a glimpse of the Gorbo house, was a very cunning and very adroit young spark with a bewildered and plaintive air. It was in consequence of this plaintive air that the magistrate had released him, thinking him more useful in the Charlemagne yard than in close confinement. Robbers do not interrupt their profession because they are in the hands of justice. They do not let themselves to be put out by such a trifle as that. To be in prison for one crime is no reason for not beginning on another. They are artists who have one picture in the salon and who toil, nonetheless, on a new work in their studios. Brujon seemed to be stupefied by prison. He could sometimes be seen standing by the hour together in front of the settler's window in the Charlemagne yard, staring like an idiot at the sordid list of prices which began with garlic, 62 centimes, and ended with cigar, 5 centimes. Or he passed his time in trembling, chattering his teeth, saying that he had a fever, and inquiring whether one of the eight and twenty beds in the fever ward was vacant. All at once, towards the end of February, 1832, it was discovered that Brujon, the somnolent fellow, had had three different commissions executed by the errandmen of the establishment, not under his own name, but in the name of three of his comrades, and they had cost him in all fifty sous, an exorbitant outlay which attracted the attention of the prison corporal. Inquiries were instituted, and on consulting the tariff of commissions posted in the convict's parlor, it was learned that the fifty sous could be analyzed as follows. Three commissions— one to the Pantheon, ten sous, one to Val de Grasse, fifteen sous, and one to the Barriere de Grenelle, twenty-five sous. This last was the dearest of the whole tariff. Now, at the Pantheon, at the Val de Grasse, and at the Barriere de Grenelle were situated the domiciles of the three very redoubtable prowlers of the barriers. Cru Denier, alias Bizarro, Glorieux, an ex-convict, and Bar Carras, upon whom the attention of the police was directed by this incident. It was thought that these men were members of the Patron Manette. Two of those leaders, Babette and Guillemer, had been captured. It was supposed that the messages, which had been addressed not to houses, but to people who were waiting for them in the street, must have contained information with regard to some crime that had been plotted. They were in possession of other indications. They laid hand on the three prowlers and supposed that they had circumvented some one or other of Brujon's machinations. About a week after these measures had been taken, one night, as the superintendent of the watch, who had been inspecting the lower dormitory of the Batman Neuf, was about to drop his chestnut in the box. This was the means adopted to make sure that the watchmen performed their duties punctually. Every hour, a chestnut must be dropped into all the boxes nailed to the doors of the dormitories. A watchman looked through the peephole of the dormitory and beheld Brujon sitting on his bed and writing something by the light of the hall lamp. The guardian entered. Brujon was put in a solitary cell for a month, but they were not able to seize what he had written. The police learned nothing further about it. What is certain is that on the following morning, a postillion was flung from the Charlemagne yard into the lion's ditch over the five-story building which separated the two courtyards. What prisoners call a postillion is a pallet of bread artistically molded which is sent into Ireland, that is to say, over the roofs of a prison from one courtyard to another. Etymology over England, from one land to another, into Ireland. This pellet falls in the yard. The man who picks it up opens it and finds in it a note addressed to some prisoner in that yard. If it is a prisoner who finds the treasure, he forwards the note to its destination. If it is a keeper or one of the prisoners secretly sold who are called sheep in prisons and foxes in the galleys, the note is taken to the office and handed over to the police. On this occasion, the postillion reached its address, although the person to whom it was addressed was, at that moment, in solitary confinement. This person was no other than Babette, one of the four heads of Patron Minette. The postillion contained a roll of paper on which only these two lines were written. Babette, there is an affair in the Rue Plumet, a gate on a garden. This is what Brujon had written the night before. 
In spite of male and female searchers, Babette managed to pass the note on from the forest to Salpetriere to a good friend whom he had and who was shut up there. This woman in turn transmitted the note to another woman of her acquaintance, a certain Mignon, who was strongly suspected by the police, though not yet arrested. This Mignon, whose name the reader has already seen, had relations with the Thenardier, which will be described in detail later on, and she could, by going to see Epinine, serve as a bridge between the Salpetriere and Les Madelonettes. It happened that at precisely that moment, as proofs were wanting in the investigation directed against Thenardier in the matter of his daughters, Eponine and Azelma were released. When Eponine came out, Mignon, who was watching the gate of the Madelonettes, handed her Brujon's note to Babette, charging her to look into the matter. Eponine went to the Rue Plumet, recognized the gate in the garden, observed the house, spied, lurked, and a few days later brought to Mignon, who delivers in the Rue Clocheperce a biscuit, which Mignon transmitted to Babette's mistress in the Salpetriere. A biscuit, in the shady symbolism of prisoners, signifies nothing to be done. So that in less than a week from that time, as Brujon and Babette met in the circle of the force, the one on his way to the examination, the other on his way from it. Well, asked Brujon, the Rue P. Biscuit, replied Babette. Thus did the fetus of crime engendered by Brujon and the force miscarry. This miscarriage had its consequences, however, which were perfectly distinct from Brujon's program. The reader will see what they were. Often when we think we are knotting one thread, we are tying quite another. And that will be all for today. I will be back on Monday with some more of Les Miserables for you. In the meantime, I hope you have an excellent day. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.